0: And yes, praise God, we did not get uh, some bad news, which ends up being really good news. Uh, all those 44,000 plus uh, tracks that we're to get out. Uh, man, I'm praising God for on a lot of levels. You know, that was going to be real expensive. And a sister stepped up and covered every one of them. And then, I don't, I don't see her today, but I don't want to give her, but I found out we were able to get a rate that was really, really good because... Think of making 44,000 20-page booklets, which are yay big, 40, 40, 50,000, but at least 44,000-something to pass out, and then mailing them out to every house in Simi Valley, which is what we're doing, planning doing. Lord, make it, make it happen. Uh, there's been a setback, but it's actually for the good I'll tell you about, and that is, uh, well, first of all, the, the good news, and then the bad news, and more good news, is uh, the price got... Dropped down significantly because we were able to get the uh, bulk rate at a for nonprofit, so that dropped it pretty good, and that's just beautiful. Praising God for that, and we had a couple printers competing for the prices and got a really good price, so I'm able to give out give give back almost half of what's contributed financially already to the sister when I see her. So I'm like, praise God for that, you know, uh, that was. And what a huge contribution it was, though, to help everybody. I praise God when people step up, we all, we all put our foot forward in Christ, hopefully, and work together as a body, and that's how we get the gospel out. I want to thank the 80-plus people that came out yesterday to knock on doors. I mean, if you have a mega church, and you say, let's go door-to-door witnessing, you, a lot of times, I think they get you know, a handful or two. I was like, wow, man. It was, and then the night before that, we had several people that came and stuffed bags, you know, and, and if they didn't show up and do that, I mean, these things need to happen. We all work together as a body. Amen. And it was just really, really beautiful. A lot of us had really good conversations. Went to my house later, and we just uh, had a really good uh, banquet, you might call it, <laughs> a good time. Everybody's sharing their stories and just uh, fellowshipping over barbecue and stuff that people brought. So we had a great time. But there'll be other times like that. And everybody's contributing. If you're praying, you're contributing. You might not be able to make either of those days, but you're praying, Lord, use them. Open hearts. The Bible says the effective prayer of a righteous man or, or the fervent prayer of a righteous man is, is very effective, amen? So these are all, we all play a part. So I just want to thank you guys for stepping up. I was very happy with the fellowship and just seeing, wow, so many people witnessing for the first time and just all stoked and excited afterwards, like, wow. And then this, I said this, and then they said that, and, and praise the Lord. Well, the cool thing is, is we got 44,000 going out, everyone would see me, and uh. Did anybody come? Did anybody get that? Did anybody knock on your door yesterday? Just raise your hand real quick if we knocked on your door. Well, praise the Lord. Thanks for coming, dude. Amen. Right on, man. Okay. What we typically do at this point, I feel bad because it's just, we, I feel bad about this, but we get, every form your lines to give him a hug? No, I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> we would not do that to you, but you will get a hug, man. You get a hug from me right now. Praise God. Thanks for coming, man. Uh, and But when we get the 44,000 out, be prepared, you know? But, uh, you know, Jesus talks about when just one person, you know, responds to him, right? The angels rejoice. So you're causing a party in heaven, man, just being here. That's awesome. Praise God. So we hit just a fraction of people. I don't know. We hit just, how many houses? We hit a few hundred, three, three, 400 houses, you know. We're going to be able to hit 44,000 with these really cool booklets, you know. And uh, the Lord is so good, you guys. And, uh, so the good news was, again, that, you know, uh, the price was radically reduced. And uh, the other thing was, the other, you know, the bad news was the printer broke, you know, that, that was supposed to be, you know, mailing these out or giving them to us. I wanted we knew we were going to get all of them done in time for the mail out, but the mail out, we're not going to do all in one day. We put 44,000 homes in one day, you know, our building is probably not big enough, maybe for the visitors that might come, they want to reach out to you. But we're going to probably put out do it in quarters, 15,000, then the next week 15,000, the next week 14,000, whatever, something like that, just kind of staggered a little bit, right? But th- we were supposed to get those booklets, and they didn't show up, and they were supposed to show up, we had plenty of time, and they said, oh, our printer broke, you know, and they said a hurricane came, and I'm like, the hurricane was t- is today, no, they didn't say that, they just said their printer broke, and you know, hopefully that's what happened, but... Uh, But we'll get the uh, 50,000 coming pretty soon. And that means you got the 44,000 bailers, but you also have 5,000 or so that we can use now to witness and street witness. Amen. And they're very powerful tracks. I mean, they're in your, they're like people grab them and read them very often. So, all right, uh, time to get in the word, amen. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter four. And I just pray that God opens your heart and speaks to you. Uh, We believe strongly in God's providence that, you know, there aren't accidents in the kingdom of God. And he has us a different place at different times, and he has his word, and he speaks to us through His word. And uh, I've done a whole series the uh, last, you know, God's Power tools, Amen, on sharing the gospel and so forth. And now I'm doing a little series over the next few weeks or so, uh, next three, four weeks, about how God sets us free, because our theme is setting the captives free. And each of us, every single person here, has the same problem. We all know deep down we're guilty. We all know that we, we need help. And we all, people deal with a sense of guilt. Some people try to destroy it with uh, philosophies where they try to explain their guilt away. Uh, doesn't take it really away. You, you might not feel guilty. You might deny gravity and jump off a building, but gravity's still there. Some use drugs and alcohol or what have you to just assuage their, assuage their guilt and so forth. Uh, but we're all, we're, all, we're, all, we're all guilty, but the good news is that God has an answer for that. Amen? Because we're moral beings that we were made in God's image. And the Bible says that we've all broken God's moral law. The Bible says all have sinned and short, fallen short of the glory of God. And the Greek word, there's several Greek words for sin. One is debt. One means debt. One Greek word, harmatia, is used of an archer in the ancient Greek language, of archers missing their target, you know. And when it says we all have sinned, harmatia is the word that's used there and fallen short of God's glory. I mean, God calls us to love him with our whole heart, soul, our mind, and strength right? Love our neighbor as ourselves, amen? Love our enemies even. And none of us do that perfectly. Sometimes we're selfish and sometimes we retaliate against our enemies. Sometimes we do stupid things and we all miss the target. We fall short of God's glory and who he is because he loves his enemies. He loves us, amen? And we fall short of that. And Jesus said no greater love does a man have than he lays down his life for a friend, amen? So we're called to this higher love than we see in the world. And I love this saying, our greatest de- if, our- if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. Amen? And it's interesting because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all your needs will be met. Amen. So when we get our first need met, we come to know the Lord and we receive forgiveness and we have relationship with him and we're translated, as the Bible says, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear light. Then we not only have salvation, but now he meets those other needs. The world has it backwards. Like if you see, uh, for instance, in psychology with Maslow's, you know, his pyramid of human of needs, our greatest needs, right? You have the basic necessities are first, and you know, other things, you know, that would include like entertainment or whatever. And then at the very bottom is spiritual needs. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, No, our spiritual need is the first need. Amen. Because then when that's taken care of, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom, as I mentioned, of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I want you to go to like Luke 4, verse 18, because this comes after Jesus is baptized. He's led in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And there's something real deep going on there, which I wanted to get into this Sunday, but I'm going to wait till next Sunday because it's just, it's so amazing when you look at what's going on in context with what happens in Genesis and the creation and the fall of humanity. And this, there's a really interesting thing going on with Jesus and his baptism and being tempted by the devil uh, in the wilderness, and then coming out of it, and then giving this message. But I want to strike the heart of the message before I get into some of the broader context. Now, commentaries you look at at Luke chapter 4, they'll get in the immediate context, typically. But there's a broader context all the way back to creation with regard to what's happening right here that's so heavy. But it's going to take a little bit to explain that. And if I explain that, I'm not going to be able to get through my first message, which is setting the captives free from sin. I'm not going to be able to say what I want to say about that. I've already crossed out a lot of my notes, you know. I usually put more than I need. For me, as you know, my problem isn't not what to say, it's what, or not what to say, but what not to say. And I was back there just, you know, Lord, put on my heart what I most need to say in this message. And I want to read this to you because Jesus has just had victory over the evil one who tried to tempt him. And he succeeds. He's without sin. And he comes in to a synagogue. And it's interesting, when you go to Galilee, you get to see synagogues that Jesus, the remnants of synagogues that Jesus probably was at in the first century. Not probably, almost certainly, uh, because he'd go into these synagogues. And here it's in Nazareth, right, where he grew up, that we really look for. And he, and he came, that is Jesus, to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood, to, and stood up to read. Now he's going to announce his public ministry here. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Wow. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Now, usually when a rabbi would read, he'd read a text, then he'd comment on it. He just reads the text, rolls up the scroll, gives it to the attendant, goes and sits down. Everybody's looking at him like, What's the commentary on this? They're looking at the commentary on it. He is the man, you know. This very day, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. He's the promised Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. And then he goes on to prove it by giving sight to the blind, by healing the sick, by raising the dead, all these incredible things, and proclaiming freedom and the gospel of the kingdom that people could be saved. And it's quite amazing when you think about this because... You know, there's things that confirm not only all the healings. Then you had all these witnesses. That's how come so many people came to Jesus. And then when he rose from the dead, you literally had his apostles, you know, going into cities proclaiming. They were hiding. When he got put to death on the cross, what did they do? They're like, we're next, you know. They're hiding. They're huddled. They're scared. They're locked behind doors. When they see him and he's resurrected and he appears to them, even eats with them, they're blown away. Then their hearts were changed from those of fearful, you know, Men that were afraid of being prisoned or themselves killed to lions, man, for Jesus. And they went out and proclaimed. I mean, they end up getting, a lot of these guys end up getting killed. These are the apostles. And I say when I share the gospel with people, I I mentioned, I said this to somebody when we were going door to door yesterday. I said, hey, you know, all it takes is one credible witness to convict somebody of a crime or to exonerate someone. I said, but think about this, man. These are witnesses that sealed their testimony that Jesus was risen in their blood. Okay? Okay. The New Testament's written by these apostles and so forth. And it's just amazing to me. It's such, so powerful. Uh, but even today, I can see where you couldn't maybe understand something, that when it happened then, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Back then, you'd be scratching your head. That doesn't make sense. Why do you do that? You know. And then you look today because of modern science, you can see, oh, that was a miracle. That's what happened here. Because there's one example where a man is blind, right? And uh, he's blind from birth. And Jesus heals him. Jesus lays his hands upon him, right? And what does he say? He tells, he, it's a long story, and I didn't even have this in my notes, so I better say it quick, because I I, I'm trying to get done on time, right? Anyways, he heals the guy, and the guy can see now, right? But he takes the guy aside before he heals him. You don't typically see Jesus do that, because they're in a crowd. He takes him aside, he heals his eyes. But the guy can see, but everything is kind of wonk you know wonky because it looks like trees walking because he can't make out details he can't distinguish so people are walking and they look like trees walking so it looks like different branches and perhaps their arms that hang down are reversed or what have you and then what's interesting is the guy says he says it looks like trees walking he's now he he understands he feels things through all his life so it looks like trees walking what's going on here but he can see, so he's thankful, I'm sure, to a degree. He's like, this is a little confusing. And what does Jesus do? He heals him again, a second time. And now everything is cleared up. Wow. Everything's crisp and clean and so forth. And in those days, they wouldn't have a clue what that would, help, you know. What happened there? How did that happen? You know, today, maybe... Uh, If we don't really think it through scientifically, we might think, if you play a lot of video games, you might think, back in the day anyway, or his power bar was low when he did the first healing. Then he got recharged. But that's not what's happening there, guys. What's happening there is Jesus is doing something for us so today we can say, wow. Because you know what we found out in recent history? Because now they're able to heal people with certain blind conditions. You know that. There's certain people that are blind... And when they're blind from a young age, from birth, for instance, and they can put a solution in their eyes where they can see. But guess what? Even though they can see, guess what? It's a dissociative disorder. Things don't make sense because because the brain has never processed vision, and it's too late for them to process vision so they can see things. I read about a guy. uh, It's in a book, actually. I think his wife was talking about it. He goes to therapy because he'll see a cat and the tail is on the other side of the cat, you know. And th- different parts of the cat are in different places. So he goes to therapy to understand what part goes where so he can see properly. It's pretty cool. And then he can make things out more. He says, okay, this over here usually goes over there and so forth. This guy was healed and <laughs> his eyes are open. But guess what? Since birth, his eyes were working, but what wasn't working? the brain. So the first time Jesus healed his eyes, the second time Jesus healed his brain. And that would make no sense in those days, but it makes perfect sense now. Now science can look back and say, wow, you, can, you trip out on that. But that's not something you would write, is it? Makes no sense at all. In fact, why would you write something that makes Jesus actually look weak, right? That only has enough power to heal the eyes, just, just heal the guy a little bit. But it's not, he's not showing as being weak, it's showing that he healed this guy in stages. And I believe that was for us, so we can be. Wow, that's amazing. I love those, those things that just, you know, God throws us these zingers, you know. But he came, and I love this passage, he came to set the captives free. Who are the captives? All of us. Well, we aren't anymore, but we were captives. We're captive to several things. We're captive to sin. We're captive to death and the fear of death. Hebrews chapter two. Death is a real concern. And some people say, oh, I'm not a fearful death until they get there. And it's the loneliest thing that ever happens with people in the world. But he sets us free from the fear of death, from the power of death, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. He sets us free from the power of the evil one in the demonic world. He sets us free from Satan's powers. He sets us free from hell. Amen? He sets us free from eternal separation from God. I mean, that's what we need, amen? Would you rather have a million dollars and be captive of all these things for all eternity and separated from God? Or would you rather have a penny and be set free from these things and have eternal life? Jesus says, "What is a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his very soul? There's no profit in that if you lose your soul in the end. So it's amazing when we think this through. So uh, right now, there's a real problem though because t- we have to get to the point where we acknowledge our sin. That's hard for people, you know. People have a hard time acknowledging that, yeah, we're sinners, you know. I remember when I was a young Christian, I'd see this bumper sticker, screw guilt. I thought, hmm, it's interesting. This person doesn't want to feel guilty, but that's not really how you deal with your guilt. I don't know what that person is guilty of. I know we're all guilty of things, but that doesn't take care of the guilt problem. But Jesus was dealing with religious people, and sometimes religious people, it can be very, very religious, But they're also very, very in need of Jesus. Because religion doesn't save you, Jesus does, amen? That's very, very important to understand. Because Nicodemus said, we know you're from God. He's the religious leader. He's, He's the teacher of Israel, it says. A leading pharisaical teacher. And he comes to Jesus by night. He says, Jesus, we know you're from God. Nobody can do all these miracles unless he's from God. And Jesus doesn't get into a little talk about his miracle. Jesus cuts his chase and says to Nicodemus, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again, which is part of, the, part of being set free. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And Nicodemus came by night, right? Well, the other Pharisees dealing with them in the Gospel of John, and they do not want to come to Jesus to be forgiven. They believe they're righteous and they're self-righteous. Jesus gave a parable about these religious leaders, he talked about how two men went into the temple, right? And one man is like, I thank my God that I'm not like that sinner because one of these guys is like a tax gatherer, a publican, right? Right? And Jesus is like saying, this guy couldn't even lift up his head to pray. But the, the religious leader was like, I thank God that I'm not like that guy. I fast twice a week and I give to the poor. I'm not like that sinner. And then the, the sinner guy is like, Beats his chest. to look up and says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, which one of those two men do you think left right with God? Justified. Justified means be right with God. Which one do you think left right with God? And they said, the man that beat his chest. And Jesus said, you're correct. Because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud, the Bible says. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And he resists the proud because the proud resist because they want to be their own gods. They don't want to acknowledge that they need forgiveness. But Jesus, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself and say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And he'll exalt you in due time, amen? Well, when Jesus was dealing with the Jews in John chapter five, himself being Jewish, the law given to the Jews, he said, you search the scriptures diligently because in them you think that you have eternal life. But it's these that speak of me and you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. So they're searching the scriptures, they're memorizing much of Torah, but they're missing the point. Because hermeneutics is really about hemeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of studying God's word, man. But when I say hermeneutics, I mean it all points to him. It's these, he says, that testify of me, but you're unwilling to come to me that you might have life. You could fill your head with knowledge, but if you don't come to Jesus and have a relationship with him, You miss out on eternal life because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes me, though he are dead, yet shall he live. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now I want you to go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Because we see Jesus dealing with these Jews who are having a really hard time acknowledging their sin. John chapter 8. Verse 31, Jesus is dealing with these same Jews. And in verse 31, we read something very interesting. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, who had believed him, so they're just saying, hey, you know, we're believing, but they're struggling because you're going to have to leave this system, you know. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? What? The truth will set or make you free. Verse 32. And you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. Then, verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Saying, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. You know? We've never been enslaved to anyone. Why are you telling us that we could be set free? So they're believing. They know he's a a Messiah. But they're like challenging him. Why do you think that we're in bondage? How are you saying that we need to be set free? (laughs) Of course, Jesus is talking about their sin, right? And how they're slaves to sin. It's interesting. But what's crazy about this is, I mean, people do have a hard time admitting their sin. Even people like these powerful Jewish leaders Most powerful people in the world have a hard time admitting their sinners. I remember Donald Trump when he was asked about the sin problem, asking for forgiveness. Uh, You know, Trump said, "I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness. Why do I have to repent or ask for forgiveness uh, if I'm not making mistakes? I work hard. I'm an honorable person." You know, that got big news. You know, because he was trying to court the evangelicals to get their vote. You know, and. uh, supposedly, you know, he's changed his ways and now acknowledges um, on on Christmas, at the end of his, uh, you know, four years, uh, he and his wife stood before a Christmas tree and said that he'd embraced Jesus Christ as a Savior, you know? Uh, Do you you think Trump, I don't know exactly what to think about Trump in his heart, you know? But I do know the statement he made, and and hopefully hopefully he's coming to know Jesus, right? Pray for him. Politicians are politicians, though, so... I'm a little skeptical on everybody, you know, it's political, but, but, uh, but Biden, there's a guy that's sinless, sinless never lies, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I was just reading an article in the New York Post, so it's all offend Democrats and Republicans, it's okay, it's all about being a Christian and knowing Jesus, amen, uh, just came out, the New York Post just read, came out weeks ago, uh, a one article, I'm not even going to read to you, the article was uh, titled it uh, was because he's got a problem with lying one article is, is entitled president biden liar in chief you know because he just has a you know he's made up all these stories you know not like al gore he didn't say like he the movie love story was all about him and that he invented the internet i remember al gore was saying that you know but uh it's like what's with these guys but they just get a pass you know and everyone wants to look at the guy in the other party that's why I look at both parties go, we all got problems man the answer is Christ. You know, not, don't put, the Bible says, do not put your trust in man. Cursed are those who put their trust in man. Man's not going to deliver you. We didn't, that's why we didn't get a scientist. We didn't get an entertainer. That's why we did get, or economists even, we got Jesus, man. To, and he's the one that came to save. What's interesting, yeah, the New York Post set up Joe Biden just recently, but this is no shock. The president lies about everything that could inconvenience him. Asked point blank if he'd lied to the American people about never, ever speaking to Hunter about business. He barked, no. This lie about a lie, as Joe likes to say, is total malarkey. He lies about having cut the deficit to $1.7 trillion when his big spending policies increased it. The border is much better than y'all expected, he says. Give us a break, right? Uh, <laughs> it's like, okay, can't make this stuff up. But you know what? Our hope isn't to be in these men, right? You know? Our hope is to be in the Lord. But the Bible says it's not just those guys. The Bible says all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what the word all means in the Greek right there? All. Amen. We're all sinners, man. We all need Jesus. Amen. And praise God, we have him. Praise God, he's changed our lives, and and he's transforming us. And praise the Lord, he's given us new hearts, if you know him, right? And he's giving you a heart of love now where you want to obey him. You want to keep his commandments. Not perfect, but you're not the person you were before Christ because he transforms us. He changes us. And you know what's really crazy about what they answer uh, they say they say to jesus when he says the truth will set you free he says you know they say we how can you say this to us we have never been in bondage to any man that's crazy man think about it i mean do they forget the around 400 years or so where they were enslaved to the egyptians remember that and they were making bricks and their their fingers and they the pharaoh took the straw away make it even harder you know and they were just dying in the heat and so forth Did they forget that? Or in the book of, you've read through the book of Judges? You need to read through the book of Judges, man. There's like a 305 period time there, years, 305 years. And they are in like captivity to the Moabites, to Edomites, to the Midianites, to the Philistines, to like seven different times they go into captivity. And then they repent. They get right with God. He saves them out of their captivity. They go back to sin. They go into captivity again. They're they're in bondage over and over and over again. You know, how about the Assyrians? I mean, they were in bondage. the Assyrians came in 722 B.C. They were a brutal people. No wonder, Nineveh, no, no wonder Jonah did not want to go share the good news with them that they could repent and be saved because they were brutally taught. I mean, bu- brutally treated by the Assyrians. Uh, I mean, so a lot of people are like, why is Jonah, take, Jonah taking a, a ship to Tarshish instead of Nineveh when God said go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, right? Well, it's very likely that he didn't want God to forgive them. He didn't want them to repent and God forgive them because he was so, maybe, he was angry. You read through Job, he had an anger problem. And God just wasn't dealing with the Ninevites. You read through the book of Job, especially how it ends. God's dealing with Jonah's heart. It's a trip. And then when you see what's going on there, man, keep in mind, guys, the Ninevites were so brutal. They would literally, I mean, I didn't, it would take too long, but I had a lot of notes I'm not sharing with you on the Ninevites and how they treated people because talk about being in captivity to the Assyrians. But just a few little statements I'll make. I mean, I've been to the British Museum. If you ever, sometimes when we go to Israel, You sometimes you've you got a layover in, in, in Britain. So we go to London, and I go to the British Museum, and I love to see the Assyrian. Uh, they've got all these different pictographs, you know, uh, history etched in their stone. And it's crazy. I mean, they did everything, uh, they even bragged about it. The king has a monument where he brags about how we stack, they'd stack them into pyramids, the skulls of people that they butchered, you know, and they'd stack up all these skulls and pyramids before, in front, of their pal- in front of their city gates to terrorize the hearts of those who would consider going in. They would take Jews and other captives and they'd kill the men, rape the women. Oftentimes they would stick, uh, stick fish hooks in the mouths of the captives and take them by fish hooks. you get a hook in your mouth and you'd be dragged, dragged, dragged to Nineveh or to uh, Syria. Pretty gnarly. They'd bury you in the ground, your head sticking out of the ground in the desert heat. Wild animals come get you. They would uh, do all kinds of brutal things. They would impale you, you know, right below the ribs. In fact, there's, if we can show that, that would be great. Uh, This is just, this is a Judean Jews. This is a depiction in ancient history of the Assyrians impaling the Jews. And they'd stick you up, man, like banners, right through, you know, under the ribs through the back of the head and so forth, or the back of the the back. And this is history, guys. This is ancient history. That's what I love about the Bible, man. You can just go and see the archaeology that shows what happened, you know. It's a trip. And it's crazy because, yeah, we don't have to keep that up there long. We're going to have, some people to eat lunch later, you know. But it was just terrible. And you know what, what happened in 586 B.C.? After they were captive to the Assyrians, later the southern kingdom was captive to the Babylonians in the Babylonian Empire. But they're saying, we've never been in bondage to anybody. How can you say we need to be set free? It's like, well, maybe they're speaking of just themselves. They're thinking, they're forgetting all their history. But wait a minute. They're in bondage right then. What empire rules over them? Rome. Rome with Pax Romana, Roman peace. They took over the known world. You know, they couldn't take over certain areas like Germania and certain, but they took over pretty much the, the known civilized world. And it's really crazy. Now, think about this, man. They're totally denying reality. But Jesus doesn't say, let me give you a history lesson, guys. And by the way, who are you paying taxes to? You're paying taxes to Caesar right now, right? He'll give them that history lesson. He says, he lets them know that they're captive to sin. But what happens is sin blinds us, man. Sin has a way of blinding people. I remember before I was a Christian, man, I was sex, drugs, rock and roll. Somebody told me I was a sinner. Nobody witnessed to me and told me I was a sinner, but I put it, denied it, you know. I've been doing a Joe Biden or Donald Trump when he denied being, making mistakes. I'll admit I made mistakes, but I didn't, I just, just kind of, You know, as the Bible talks about in Romans 1, that even though God's made evident, the fact that he's created everything, that he exists, he's revealed in us, and there's a witness that the universe is so beyond us, there's something bigger than us, there's so much design in nature, it says they suppress the knowledge of the truth. I was one of those guys suppressing the knowledge of God, holding it down, so I didn't have to be accountable to him and I could be my own God. That was the deal. But we have such a hard time admitting that we're sinners. I mean, I was a drunk you know, if you told me I was a drunk, I'd say, no, I just like to party. If you called me a fornicator or an adulterer or anything like that, I'd say, no, it's just sex. If you, call, you know, how many people have addictions but won't admit that they're addicted? How many people are drunks but won't admit they're, you know, have a problem? That's how it is with sin in general. And when a lot of times when we, when we fall short, in the, and it's human nature, we what? Point to somebody else. Oh, they did this, or you did that. We're pointing at them, and we got three fingers pointing back at us. We're guilty, man. We've, we're guilty of everyone's guilty of sin, and you see that from the get-go. Remember Adam and Eve, first human beings. The uh, science now shows that we're all related. You know, we know that, right? The, we started somewhere, right? And uh, the first human beings. I mean, what did what did what did Adam say? You know, he blamed it on Eve and kind of God. He said it's the woman because she gave him the fruit. It's the woman you gave me. Right away, you're seeing fallen human nature. Adam, you know, and God's said, like, or Adams, it's the woman you gave me. Didn't want to take responsibility, right? And then Eve, when she's dealt with, the serpent, you know, deceived me. It was a serpent. My favorite excuse in the Bible is not those two, those are powerful, is Aaron's. Aaron, I mean, Moses, God delivers them from Egypt with his strong arm. He delivers them with power. And he brings them uh, to the you know, Red Sea, splits the Red Sea, does all this wonderful stuff. They get out. Now he's at Mount Sinai, and he goes up the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. And while he's there, it says he delayed his coming for some time, his return. Which is a picture of Jesus' second coming, by the way. because says, many will say, my Lord delays his coming, and they'll be given over to drunkenness and beating their maidservants and violence and so forth. That's what's happening right now. Oh, is Jesus coming back? Oh, he might come back for a while, then I can... Whoa, man, wait a minute. And guess what they did? Aaron said, hey, give me all your gold, you know? And in fact, I'll read it. Aaron said, well, Moses up there receiving Ten Commandments. So Aaron said, do not let... Uh, well." I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I'll go through this part because I've got to get some other stuff. But I'm going to get to you, I'll get to you his excuse, Aaron's excuse. Because he gets the gold together, and they form a golden calf, and they chisel it out, or they, they, they form it, and they mold it and everything, and they begin worshiping it. And Moses is coming down with the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, thou shalt not have any of the gods before me. You know, the next one's like, you shall not fashion any image. And they're doing both of those, right? Moses comes down, he's angry, he throws the... He's so ticked off. He sees they're dead. They're doomed. He throws the, you know, the tablets down. They break up. Written by the finger of God, by the way, says. And he's like, what have you done? And Aaron, listen to his excuse. He said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people. <laughs> he's blaming the people. And is there a problem too? Yeah, that's true. That they, uh, that they are set on evil. We have a fallen nature. We've inherited from the, our forefathers and Adam and We're not just, oh, I've inherited. We can say, I've inherited my sin nature. No, but you choose sin too. You could choose not to sin, but you're also a sinner by choice. Aaron says, for they said to me, make us gods that uh, shall go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. There's that little excuse. There's Moses, the one who brought us out of Egypt. He put us in this position. Think about that. They're in this trial, and they're like, hey, let's blame Moses. Uh, We do not know what will become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. And I cast it into the fire. And this calf just came out. That's why I'm like, the calf just came out, you know. That's bad, <laughs> you know. And uh, Moses interceded for him. Otherwise, it says in the scripture that he would have been put to death. By the way, Moses, who went up and t- delayed for a while, came back. a picture of Jesus, who went up. And it's coming back, and Moses intercedes for Aaron, right? Jesus intercedes for us at the right hand. If it wasn't for his intercession, we would all be doomed because of our sins and the excuses that we have made. But the Bible says that God is light. He doesn't take excuses. He sees everything. He even sees our thoughts and knows our words before we speak them. It says, God is light in 1 John 1, 5, and in him there's no darkness at all. And 1 John 1, 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. And 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, and the word confess is an interesting Greek word, it's homo legeo. Homo means same. Legeo means word. Homo legeo means same words. If we confess, meaning we say the same thing, the same words about what we're doing that God says, admit that we're wrong. Admit that we're sinners. The Bible says, if we confess, homo legeo, our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that awesome? That's the good news that sets the captives free, that Jesus came to set us free from our sins, the penalty of our sins, the power of our sins, eventually the presence of sin. Homo legeo, we just confess, Lord, I agree. I beat, that guy beat his chest. Remember the guy in the temple? Just beat his chest. God, have mercy on me. You're right, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, he left right with God. That's amazing. But you know what verse 8 says in verse 10? Surrounding verse 9 that gives that beautiful promise. They say things like if we say we're without sin, we're liars and the truth is not in us. So we cannot be healed from being sinners and rebels against God until we admit that we have a problem. Amen? If you, ref- if you have cancer or some serious situation and you deny it, Right? You just sit around and don't become proactive in any way you're going to die with it you know if you have a nasty infection that's growing and spreading and you're, you're, all of a sudden you see you know green pus coming out of your arm you feel you don't know, you refuse to acknowledge it which somebody, some people deny that sickness exists you're going to die of it now it's interesting the Romans the Jews that were here that Jesus is talking to who are saying they've never been in bondage to anyone there's going to be an insurrection not long after Jesus is crucified because the Bible says that the Messiah, in the Old Testament, it prophesies that the Messiah would be crucified or he'd be killed before the temple was destroyed. That's a great prophecy to show our Jewish friends that we witness to. Hey, look, did you know your, your, your Tanakh, which is our Old Testament, says the Messiah had to have already come? Then you ask them, when did the temple get destroyed? Sometimes they'll know, a lot of times they won't. You say 70 A.D., not long after Christ was crucified. Then you take them to Daniel 9 and you say, hey, look, it says the Messiah will be cut off. Then the sanctuary will be destroyed. Great way to witness to Jews. So you, there's no Messiah coming now for his first time. He already came. He's coming back, but he came the first time. The Bible says in Hebrews nine twenty-seven, he appeared the first time in reference to our sin. A point, it says it's of man in verse 27 of chapter 9. It's of man wants to die, but after this is judgment. Then in verse 28, he, pointed, he came the first time in reference to our sin will come a second time in reference to our salvation. That's when he finishes what he's begun in us. Amen. So it's really awesome when you think about this. Uh, what's going on here because he's trying to get their attention and even King David had a hard time acknowledging his sin remember remember he lusted after Bathsheba he took her into his palace as a king and he slept with her then he tried to hide the sin by sending her husband who came back because she was found pregnant and her husband was supposed to be at war and he sent him he's like well he brought him back because he wanted him to sleep with her to hide the sin but Uriah's like, I'm not sleeping with my wife when all my comrades are out there risking their lives. Then David keeps getting more and more alcohol, trying to get him drunk. And he still doesn't do it. Shows how noble he is, he, you know, Uriah, right? And then he can't, he's like, what do I do about this? He sends him to the front lines and gets killed. He's guilty of adultery and murder. And misusing the authority that God had given him. And he's denying it for a long period of time until Nathan the prophet sticks his bony finger in his face but before he does that Nathan says something to him he gives him a story a little parable he talks about a rich man that had all this all these sheep man all kinds of, you counted wealth not by money in the bank so you know for the most part but how many fruit trees you had how much sheep you had and me oxen and so forth and this man was so wealthy and he had friends that came over he wanted to have a barbecue but he didn't want to use one of his sheep but there's a poor man that was his next door neighbor didn't have anything he had one little pet lamb He went over to that guy's house. He took his lamb from him, butchered it, and fed his friends. And David's like, that man shall surely die, which is pretty harsh. It's harsh what that guy did, though. David's ticked off, man. How could that guy do that? Nathan, he's got, by the way, the death, for stealing someone's lamb was not the death penalty. It was restitution, fourfold. So it should have been restitution. But Nathan says, I just made that story up, David. Thou art the man. You're the one that did this. You took a man's wife. And David had conquered you know, too many wives, right? Got him in trouble. You took this man's wife. You are the man. And guess what? That's true. What's going on with Aaron, Eve, Adam, David, King David, these Jews? That's in all of our fallen nature, how many of you have a hard time in your relationships with your spouses to acknowledge when you do wrong? You need to always bring up something they did. That's not healthy. You need to own your own stuff, man. You need to ask God for forgiveness. You need to tell your spouse you're sorry for that, you know? Don't be elbowing your spouse because all your fingers will be pointing back at you, you know? But uh, we, just, we need to be humble before God. And our relationships will be stronger. On a practical level, with our spouses, with our, our children, children with parents, if we own up to our failures and we ask for forgiveness and we just walk in the light. But first and foremost, we need to make sure we're right with God. Amen. Because David was not right with God. He was in, his soul was in peril. He prays later, you know, he does. He breaks down and prays, you know, Lord, take not that Holy Spirit from me, you know, creating me a clean heart and so forth. It's beautiful. He cries out to God and he finally gets right with God. And that's, it's awesome that he does that, you know. Thou art the man, though. David, fess up. I go to the airport a lot because we travel a lot off and on. And uh, I read an interesting story about a woman who was at the airport and she was in a hurry, wanted to get on the plane, but they had a little bit of time before they were boarding to give her a ticket to the, you know, to, and get on the plane. And she went into the, you know, into the little bookstore there or little shop there. She bought a magazine. She sits down. She buys a nice bag of big cookies, right? And she sits down and she's sitting there and she's, looking at her magazine, and a guy sits next to her. There's one seat in the middle. And then all of a sudden, she sees this guy reach down into the bag and grab a cookie of her. You know, she's like, she's taking my cookie. You see, they're cooking. And she's like, upset, like, what's he doing? And then she just like, she doesn't know what to do. You know, she wants, I put, that's my chair in the middle. Well, it's not my chair, but that's where my bag is. I don't want to pick up my bag. I want, that's where I'm eating my cookies. I'm all comfortable. And I want somebody else to sit here, whatever she's thinking. And then she just says, she sticks her hand in the jar, looks at him with kind of a snark in, and just grabs it and eats it in front of him, just starts eating. And she's like, hopefully he gets it. A few seconds, little time goes by, he grabs another cookie and eats it. And he's kind of smiling, you know. And she's like, and she's angry. She does it again, you know. She chomps it down. She goes, this guy is rude. You know, he has no couth. He's a th- cookie thief, man. You know, what a, you know. And then he... He takes another one, and now there's only one left. And he grabs the last one. He's got kind of a cheapest, cheapest smile. And he breaks it in half, and goes like this And she's like, and she grabs it out of his hand, eats it. She's so ticked off. So she gets up, and it's time to board. And she opens her purse to you know get the get her ticket. You know, and she sees her full bag of cookies. She was eating his cookies, okay? (laughs) Thou art the man, or in her case, thou art the ma'am, you know? (laughs) And guys, guess what? We're all guilty, okay? We're all guilty. And the first step to recognizing that we need to be set free is to recognize that we're bound. And I remember uh, a story I read in the paper years ago when we used to read newspapers before the internet. And it was a seagull. Everybody's trying to hunt the seagull down and, and catch it because it got his, you know, you know those six packs of beer or six packs of Coca-Cola or whatever it is, the little plastic wraps that hold each of the six. it had it stuck around its beak, and it couldn't open its beak to eat. It was flying all around. And the authorities were chasing it, trying to wait till it landed, when it landed tried, and they tried to capture it, they could never capture it, it just died. And everybody wanted to set it free. And that's how it is with people with God. He's chasing us because he loves us. Jesus said the Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him may be saved. Amen. He's coming to save us. But we run because well, I'm, I'm guilty. And I want to acknowledge it and I want to run and just live my life, be my own God. But the Bible says if we love darkness more than light, you know, we refuse to come to the light lest our deeds be exposed. And we can never be forgiven. And that's serious stuff. So we need to acknowledge. Our sin. Look at what Jesus goes on to say in verse 34. We left off, we read verses 31 through 33. Now look at John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Wow, I love that, man. I love that. You'll be free indeed. Sin is nasty, man. It blinds us, you know. It binds us. Remember Samson? He thought he was invincible, man. He thought he could do whatever he wanted. And he still failed and fell short, but wouldn't acknowledge it. You know, he was a Nazarite. If you, want, if you don't know about Samson, go ahead and read uh, Judges chapter 4, 5, and 6, and you'll know a lot about Samson and beyond that. But Samson was one of the judges, and he was a Nazarite. He took a Nazarite vow, and that meant no eating grapes, no wine, don't cut your hair, and don't touch carcasses. Guess what? He blew it in all those areas, at least two out of three, maybe three. We know he went to parties with the Philistines, hanging out with people that were a bad influence on him, so it's very likely that he was drinking wine. We know he touched a carcass because he took the honey out of a dead lion. And people think, how could Samson be so dumb to finally tell Delilah that the secret was in his long hair, and then she cuts it off, he loses his strength. The strength wasn't in his hair per se per, specifically, but that was part of his vow, and that's the part he didn't broke yet. But he thought he was getting away with his sin. That's I wasn't dumb, but he kind of was too because he's thinking he's getting away with something he's not. And then he gets a haircut. He loses power, and this is a very interesting verse. Listen to John six twenty one, Judges six twenty one, and the Pharisees seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground the mill in the prison, so he'd be grinding the mill. He says, "Doesn't have the strength he once had." His, you know, but he's, so he was first. He was blind, then he was. After you get blinded, then comes the big bind. He was bound. That's what sin does. It takes you captive. But Jesus, thank God, came to set the captives free. Amen? And it's tri- a trip because when you think about it, in Psalm chapter 19, listen to how powerful God is. It says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day it pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor where their words are not heard nor, or their voice is heard and so forth. It talks about he created the heavens and the earth, you know? Everything, right? But it's crazy because when you think of how powerful God is, it talks about he created these things with his fingers. It's using an expression that just took his fingers to create the universe. That blows me away, okay? It just blows me away. And... When we read that, he creates everything with his finger. And it's interesting, in Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 through 19, he sets the Jews free and destroys their pursuing armies, the Egyptians. Again, he does this with his finger. Uh, Jesus says in Luke eleven twenty, 20, But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come to you. He, just, he has power. I love that man. We think of some people think God and Satan are like dual opposites. You know, like there's this dualism, right? Like the yin and the yang. You know, Taoism and so forth. That's a lie. That's not like these equal powers. Satan's just a little angel compared to the big awesome God. He's a powerful angel, more powerful than the other angels. But even when he's thrown in the pit, Jesus doesn't even do that. Jesus has an angel do that. Read the book Revelation. An angel throws him in the lake of fire. And then when he's in torment. The kings of the earth will say, this is the one that deceived us? He's weak like us. The only power he has is what God's given him. But So with his finger, Jesus casts out demons. I think that's really interesting. Uh, with his fingers, he creates the earth and the heavens. You know, the heavens are huge too. Think about it. I mean, I've said before, I love the, the, the picture, to give this picture. The speed of light is fast, right? 186,000 miles a second. If you strap yourself on a beam of light, and we're able to go that fast, you'd go around the Earth seven times in one second. That's fast. Now, if you, tr- you know how long it would take you to go across the universe? No, not the universe, just our galaxy. And there's at least two trillion galaxies in the known Earth universe, they estimate. That's just the known universe. We don't know where it stops, right? So it's, it's probably way bigger than we even can comprehend. But if you just go through our galaxy, and I'm sorry, there's two trillion galaxies about, they estimate, and we're just in one galaxy... 100,000 light years across. If you went across our galaxy at that breakneck speed of seven times around the planet, in one second, it would take you 100,000 years to go across the galaxy. That's a big God. I mean, think our Earth is huge, right? But 1.3 million Earths will fit inside our sun. Wow. Okay? I just think that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and that's small compared to... Uh, uh, Antares, the star, which is a star in our galaxy. The Antares star is so big that 64 million of our suns will fit inside of the Antares star. And the Antares star is big, but guess what? It's a relatively small star. It's kind of small compared to Hercules because Hercules is so big that 100 million Antares could fit inside the star called Hercules. And there's probably stars out there that we... That are way bigger than that, right? And, it's, and the scriptures say in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, when I consider the work of the heavens, uh, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you have take thought of him? What is man that you've take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Meaning it's so big. And we're this little tiny speck on a little tiny speck. But the Bible says God knows every hair on our head that we're fearfully and wonderfully made and that your DNA is just beyond anything in creation, by the way, any created species. And it's mind-boggling that he actually cares for us. But he does. That's because his brain, his mind is is so vast. That's an awesome, awesome, awesome God. Yet you know what? When it came to redemption to save us, he didn't just use his finger. He could, could cast out demons with his finger. He could create the universe with his fingers. But guess what? He had to reveal his strong arm, it says. Because to save us, it wasn't just create everything, which is mind-blowing itself. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says in verse 1, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And Jesus, and the Bible goes on to say, in the book of Isaiah after that, that no one can save themselves. Therefore, God had to unveil his arm. And who's at the right hand of God? Jesus. God became a man to save us. And he had to die on the cross, which was a lot more work then creating the universe. That's how much he loves you. He revealed his arm, his strong arm, to save you. And Isaiah 53, right after it says, he reveals his arm to save us. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. This is the Old Testament, man. This is the Old Testament, 700 years before Christ came. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are all like, all of us like sheep have gone astray. But the Lord has laid the iniquity, the sin of us all upon him. He died on the cross for us. Because the Bible says cursed is everyone who dies upon a tree. And the Bible says that our sin, we're cursed. The Bible says all of sin come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of what you earn, right? Well we earn death because of our sin. And the Bible says plain man wants to die but after this is judgment. So we got a date with God and it's judgment. And we're in huge trouble. Amen? So we need to make sure we get right with God. Now he could have just left us in our sin he could have left us damned. I remember before I knew God, I was that dumb kid, man, 16, 17 years old, you know, blaspheming God in the park, getting drunk with my friends, smoking pot, doing drugs, doing all kinds of stuff that I'm ashamed about, sticking my middle finger in the air, blaspheming God in total ignorance, thinking, thank God, I read really where Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners, so I'm like, well, I wasn't. And then Paul says, but God saved me to show others in the future that they came, they could be saved. I could be saved, and I read Jesus, whoever comes to me, I won't cast away. You'll accept me when I realized how wicked I was because I opened myself up to demonic forces. I opened up to occult powers. I didn't believe in God or Satan. Then I realized Satan was real, so I realized if there's an evil, these evil spirits are real that I've opened myself up to through my music and channeling lyrics and all the New Age stuff I was into, man, there's got to be a God. So when I cried out to God two different times, he delivered me from my occult experiences, and I could never get delivered. I cried out both these times he stopped me. He showed his gracious hand. He reached out his arm and plucked me out of the fire. Amen? And praise God, man. We got a bunch of firemen in this church. Um, You know, it's just amazing, but he's the ultimate fireman. Amen? He snatches us out of the fire. And he snatched me out of the fire and saved me by his grace. And I want to encourage you right now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, man, he died to save you. The Bible says that we're all Sinners, we're all sick. Isaiah 1 says, The whole heart is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds. Why would you be beaten anymore? <laughs> you know, Why do you persist in your rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. The Scriptures tell us that we're sick with sin. The Bible says the heart is deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We have a real problem. We need to be set free from our sins. And guess what? No human doctor can heal our sin problem. Amen. How many of you are brokenhearted because you lost a loved one or you had a separation or something just really hurt your heart? No doctor can heal that. But Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted we read. Amen? He came to heal us from our pains, our afflictions, our sadnesses, but also heal us from this pain that we've caused because of our sin and to forgive it all. Amen? So scriptures tell us that if we come to him, we'll be forgiven our sins and cleansed of all unrighteousness. And so we have, we have a double problem, double sickness. We have, we're, we're guilty before God. We deserve death. We deserve his punishment. God would have been perfectly just when I was in the park blaspheming him with my friends saying there's no God. So for just a bam. Wipe me out right there and send me to Christless eternity in hell forever. We've been perfectly just. But there's a double problem. I only have guilt but I had a sinful nature. In the gospel, there's a double cure. Jesus Christ died on the cross, right? It says he took our sins. He paid our debt on the cross. Amen. So it's like here I am, right? Here's Jesus, perfect and holy and righteous, God in the flesh. I deserve death. He comes over here, takes my place. And he dies in my place and takes the wrath upon himself because it says "Cursed to everyone who hangs upon the tree. He's cursed in my place. And it says he became sin so that we can become the righteous of God so I can step over here and be with him and him representing me before the throne. So when God looks at me and looks to me, he ultimately looks to Jesus who took my sins and now I stand robed. The Bible says in his righteousness. Amen. I'm no longer condemned for my sins because of this great exchange that's taken place. Amen. Because of his amazing love, amazing grace and dying for all of our sins. Everybody could have this amazing exchange if we put our faith in Christ and put our trust in him. And guess what? That's the first healing we need forgiveness. Amen. So we're justified. We're made right with God, but there's another problem. We've got a sinful nature. Amen. We've got this bent toward doing our own thing and rebelling and sinning. But guess what? When we get regenerated, when we get forgiven, then the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. God comes to live in us. We're born again. He changes our nature. He gives us a new nature. He takes that that old stony heart. It says he gives us a new heart. and He puts his spirit within us. Amen. And then we start to have desires to do what's right. I never desired to get to church, go to church. Now I can't wait till Sunday morning to get to hang out with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I look forward to it. God's changed my heart. Now, I want to love people. I want to spend time with people. I want to help people. I want to encourage people instead of live for myself because He's given me a new heart. So, and guess what? So, you get, you, get just, you get justified. You're made right with God. Your guilt is gone. Cure number one. Cure number two, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and you get regenerated. You're born again and you get a new nature. Oh, you're not perfect overnight, but you grow. You learn to walk. Remember those old Western movies? And the, the guy gets shot. He's a good, you know, usually the good guy. He's got this infection growing, it's turning green. The doctor's looking at him and pouring whiskey on his wound, trying to disinfect him, and you're just doctors waiting around. I mean, the Old West is of them to do that. So wait until he, if he's going to die or not. Usually it gets better, right? But then the doctor will say, the fever is broken. Now, the fever's broken, but that doesn't mean he just pops up and everything's good. Well, what happened when Jesus died for us and we put our faith in him, we are forgiven, and we were born again. When we put our trust in him. We are regenerated. The fever was broken. But now we're on the road to recovery. And now we learn to walk again. And then the, the actor, all of a sudden, he's trying to stumbling around, trying to get better. He's like he's healed now. Well, we're healed, but we don't stumble around forever. Now we start walking with Jesus. And now that's sanctification, amen, where we become more and more like Jesus. And it gives us power to live a holy life. Amen? And that's called sanctification, where we become more and more like Christ. Less and less like the world. Less and less like the wicked, like the devils that we were before we came to Christ. And then we become more like Jesus. And when he returns, then we're made perfectly like him. Amen? So, man, he came to set the captives free. Amen? Are you free? If you have not been set free, put your trust in Jesus, and you'll be set free from sin and death and its power. Amen? I want to encourage you now. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, he loves you so much. Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Put your faith in Jesus. Turn from the life of darkness. Acknowledge your sin. And put your trust in Jesus begin to follow him, and you'll be saved as soon as you put your trust in Jesus. Amen? Praise God. Let's all stand. We'll pass out the cup and the bread.